Hello, and welcome to the Uncover Up with your hosts Lee Coon Lee and Nathan Radke. So I wanted to start off today by talking about the difference between fiction and reality. Okay. In movies, one of the key aspects that makes them so satisfying is that people get what they deserve. It would be an unusual movie Mm -hmm. if somebody did not get what they deserved. Whether that means that the good person eventually triumphs, or the bad person eventually gets their just desserts, or their comeuppance, or what have you. And real life, of course, is entirely different from that. And it's very unsatisfying in a lot of ways. And that's what we're talking about today. Because today we're going to look at some of the 20th century's worst villains. One in particular, right? Yeah, one in particular who probably is the poster child for villainy in the 20th century. Although, unfortunately, it was a bad century. We've got that's a terrible right. yeah. century. Yeah, that was a rough oh, century. We got, we got a lot of the worst. Because what we're talking about today is we're going to be looking at what happened to... Uh, Nazis after World War II. I mean, think about something like, what's the Quentin Tarantino movie? Inglorious Bastards. Mm-hmm. Have you guys seen it? Is this going to be spoiler alerts? I have not seen it and don't plan to. Oh. So you can tell me. Damn. All right. Well, spoiler alert for you. <laughs> spoiler alert for anybody listening. The idea is there is a, a terrible Nazi played by Christoph Waltz. At the end of the film, he makes a deal with the Americans to tell them where Hitler is. In exchange, he gets to go to America, and he'll be showered with riches, and he'll be able to set aside his horrible Nazi past. But the film ends, again, spoiler alert, with Brad Pitt carving a swastika into his forehead with a big knife, saying you'll be able to put your uniform away, but you will never be able to get away from the massive swastika I've just carved in your head. And that's how fiction ends. But that's not how reality ends for the most part. So what we're talking about today is we're going to be talking about what happened to several key Nazis after World War II, uh, the role of the American government in covering up what happened to a lot of those uh, Nazis, and then we're going to spend a bit of time asking the question, where's Hitler? And to help us do that, today we have a special guest pod person, Elena Papiemus. Hi guys. Hi. Thanks for having me. Professor of history. What more can you really say? All around, <laughs> all, we need, all around good egg. <laughs> I wanted to start off by talking about an operation that uh, some of our listeners might be familiar with, something called Operation Paperclip. Hitler, in particular, was obsessed with technology. And when the, the German army should have been making thousands and thousands of cheap tanks, the way the Americans did with the Sherman or the way the Soviets did with the T-34, Hitler was trying to convince his engineers to build wildly complicated super tanks. Way too big to be useful. He had one called the, the Mouse, which was being designed, which was basically the size of a, like a, a small mansion. Like absurd, ridiculous things. He, he made the world's biggest gun. And most of these, these projects, of course, did not work at all. And then meanwhile, the Red Army with their, the, the cheapest of possible tanks, but thousands and thousands of them just rolled over all of these, these glorious technological feats. 
as the war went over and as he got more desperate, the technologies got weirder and weirder. There was the Messerschmitt 163, which was basically a seat with a rocket attached to it and a couple stubby wings. And the idea is that when the uh, British or the American bombers flew over, you could shoot these rockets with people in them up into the sky and they would be too fast for the bombers to shoot down. And they didn't work at all. Uh, they dissolved their own pilots because the fuel was so acidic. So basically you had to burn the fuel before the fuel ate through the fuel lines, ate through the back of the plane, and then ate through you. So it killed way more of its own pilots than it did anything else. But it was an extraordinary bit of technology. It was a rocket plane in World War II. Mm -hmm. And some of the technologies worked okay. Uh, the Messerschmitt 262 jet fighter was probably, arguably, the best fighter plane of the war. And Germany was the only country that was able to use ballistic missiles in the form of V-2s shot from uh, continental Europe to hit London. Basically, these were rockets that went up into space and then would come down into London and there was nothing you could do about them. So that just a little piece, uh, there's a little tidbit because, of course, Nathan is the one who has all this, you know, military gadget mm -hmm. stuff at his fingertips. But the one piece of trivia I know about the V-2 rocket, uh -huh. first human-made object to make it into space. Yeah. yeah. So it is not the Sputnik. It is not uh, an American... Uh, rocket it is the v2 apparently accidentally yeah. uh went too far uh, but actually is the first uh, human created object to have been shot into space so that's a pretty amazing bit of technology of course immediately after world war ii ends basically the cold war starts up between the soviets and the americans one of the most important factors in this cold war was going to be technology so the Soviets and the Americans both had a keen interest in getting some of these that can basically only be described as mad scientists. Uh, some of whom were just scientists who happened to be in Germany. But some of them were genuine Nazis, like dyed-in-the-wool Nazis who had done terrible experiments on human beings. But the Americans were uninterested in what they had done. What they were interested in is what they could do. How could they help the Americans fight against the Soviet Union in this new Cold War. And of course the Soviets were doing the same thing. So they were grabbing, they were literally grabbing up as many scientists as they could find, especially if they had anything to do with rocketry or uh, medical experimentation. So I wanted to uh, talk about a couple of them. Uh, one of them, probably the most famous, Werner von Braun. And you guys have heard of Werner mm -hmm. von Braun. He had that is, he is the person that the character Dr. Strangelove is based on, isn't it? Strangelove is sort of an amalgamation an amalgam. of a, a few, but certainly Von Braun would be one of the people that, that Strangelove is based on, for sure. And Werner Von Braun was considered a great hero in America. He was on the cover of Time. Mm -hmm. uh, he was sort of held up to children and had been like, be like Werner Von Braun. Be like this guy. Because he was instrumental in getting the Americans into space. Uh, and beating the Soviets to the moon. He was considered a great hero. But during World War II, he was less heroic. He was in charge of creating the V-2s, because this is what rocketry was for. He was using slave labor in these factories. These factories were extraordinarily dangerous because it was experimental technology and a lot of corrosive rocket fuel. A lot of people were killed in his factories, either through accidents or simply being worked to death. 
And there is a ton of documentation about this because, of course, one of the things the Nazis did very well... Yeah. I mean, keep track of everything. Yeah, yeah, they were really big into documentation. So Werner von Braun knew a ton about rocketry. He had done some terrible things. The Americans are willing to overlook that in order to get his expertise. So they bring him over. And they stick him in the desert with a bunch of other uh, German scientists. And they give them access to a lot of money and a lot of technology, and they say, build us rockets. And this procedure wherein you bring in these former Nazi scientists was called Operation Paperclip. The reason it was called that is because the idea would be you'd have a file on these scientists, and it would be pretty grim, it'd be pretty awful. But then you could just sort of paperclip a clean sheet to the front of it. And be like, no, these guys are all right. right. He was in a coma for the full war. He was like, he was in the basement, he was fine. Uh, so there's one. The other guy I want to talk about, a guy called Ernst Steinhoff. He was another uh, rocketry guy. He was the guy who was in charge of the targeting computer in the V2s. Brilliant guy. He was able to figure out how to throw these rockets into space and then have them land in a city in London. So I want you guys to imagine this. It's May 29th, uh, 1947, I believe. Steinhoff and von Braun are in the American Southwest in a desert. They're in this massive area because they are firing rockets up into the air, and if these rockets land on something, it's going to cause some serious problems. So they put them on the desert. Now, Steinhoff is the expert in telemetry and in the sort of the, the mechanisms by which this rocket stays on course. So he's the one with the binoculars making sure the rocket stays on course. Rocket shoots off into the air. Seems fine. And then it starts to sort of waver in its flight. It's not following the trajectory that was agreed upon by the American scientists. In fact, it's headed towards El Paso. And Steinhoff does nothing. There's a, a remote control in it so that they can blow it up if it starts to go wrong. Because if this thing lands in a city, there could be thousands of people killed by it. But Steinhoff is watching through his binoculars and it doesn't do a thing. As this thing just continues to go off course, and head for El Paso, Texas. Finally, it does crash. It sort of lands in between El Paso and Juarez, which is another fairly populated city in Mexico. It leaves a crater sort of 50 feet in diameter and 30 feet deep. Luckily, it doesn't hit the city, either city, because it would have had a huge death toll. Uh, Steinhoff appears not that worked up about it. The same thing would happen two more times with these rockets. At this point, Army intelligence officers uh, start to be concerned and they start asking questions like, hey, are there Nazi scientists shooting rockets at our cities? Is that, is that what's happening here? Are we paying Nazis to shoot at El Paso? So it took them three, three times yeah. to almost have a city blow up yeah. before they start well, to worry about this you, stuff. You know the expression. <laughs> yeah. You almost hit El Paso with a rocket once. Only Shame once. on you. Yeah. You almost hit El Paso twice. Shame on me. Yeah. You almost hit El Paso three times. You must be a Nazi. You've yeah, got to still must, be yeah. a pretty hard Nazi. But, of course, you can't argue with success. And the American space program, maybe we'll do a whole podcast on that probably. But the American space program was considered a success. And so people like Warner von Braun were held up as heroes. I'll give you an even worse example. Uh, there was a guy called Herbertus Strughold. He was brought over, he was found and brought over in 1947. And now he was the chief of aeromedical research for the Luftwaffe. Uh, the Luftwaffe, of course, being... The Air Force. Yeah, German Air Force, precisely. 
you ever come across uh, information about what human bodies can sort of withstand? Mm. Mm -hmm. Like something like humans can stay yeah. in cold water this long, or right, right. okay, or, this much, yeah, this much heat before your skin burns. Right. Yeah, this right. is when the or exactly. Uh, well, horrifyingly, the reason we know that is mm. because these experiments have been done on human mm -hmm. beings. Mm -hmm. And Strughold, during the war, as chief of aeromedical research for Luftwaffe, was tasked with finding out what can you put a human body through mm -hmm. before it succumbs to oxygen deprivation right. or like pressure changes or what have you. G-forces and all that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because these new technologies were starting to introduce these forces to bodies in ways that had never been done before. Right. Like the people in the, the Messerschmitt 163s would black out mm -hmm. when it took off, which was unusual. And so I'm like, well, how do we deal with that? So what he did was he was given prisoners. And these would have been prisoners primarily from Dachau, one of the, uh, one of the worst camps during the war. And he was just given these prisoners, sometimes they were children, and he would perform oxygen deprivation experiments to see how long could you deprive someone of oxygen before they die. What level of vacuum could somebody be exposed to before it starts to have sort of horrifying effects? They tested on uh, women because they thought maybe women would be more suited to these forces because women tend to be tougher physically. And we don't have records of how many people died in these experiments, but we know that they took place. Mm -hmm. And he was one of the scientists brought over in Paperclip because they wanted that information. If they were going to start sending people up into space, they wanted to know what can we put a person through and who better to bring over than the Strughold guy. But they didn't just bring him over. They named a base after him. They named a prestigious uh, science award after him. And in 1958, because a lot of people started saying, oh, I don't know if we should be honoring this guy. Uh, the Justice Department researched it, and they said, nope, he's clear, he's fine. After he died, uh, research continued, and he didn't die until, I believe, the 70s. A German committee, the Historical Committee of the German Society of Air and Space Medicine, they came up with incontrovertible <coughs> evidence, basically, that, no, Strughold was this sort of Dr. Death who had been doing these terrible experiments. American intelligence would have known that. But they brought him over because they wanted what he had. So... What you're saying is that, I mean, Project Paperclip is an example of how a whole bunch of Nazis were able to escape after the Second World War. Mm -hmm. High-ranking Nazis. Yeah. People who, who yeah. caused the kind of horror that we hear about in the Nuremberg trials, that we condemn Nazism for. And yet, a lot of these high-ranking people, they got out, they were given cover by the Americans, potentially the, the Soviets, and they continue to operate with, to some degree, high, high amounts of legitimacy in, the, yep. in public, even though they were war criminals whose track record included hurting children, killing people, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it it's was... not like they're just escaping, too. They're actively being sought out for what they know and what mm -hmm. they can do and what they can bring to these programs, mm. despite all these ethical concerns with their behavior. Yeah, and of course there were people in the American government who were concerned about this, who were saying, no, we can't bring these people over. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the people who was in on it because he was such a high-ranking scientist and who was extremely worried about it was Einstein. Oh, right. Who said... Uh, quote, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
we hold these individuals to be potentially dangerous, is basically what he said. Mm -hmm. And you could see why Einstein, having sort of fled Germany when he fled Germany, he would be particularly sensitive mm -hmm. to the dangers of bringing over some of these mad scientists. Now, this is outside of the scope of this podcast, but uh, there was a, an island called Plum Island. Plum Island, you've heard of Plum Island. I have heard of Plum Island. It's, of course, where the Montauk monster washed up on shore, which was this sort of... Have you ever seen pictures of it? I, I don't know. It's gross. Yeah? And also, it's I probably... Think, I guess I would know then. I probably have it. Yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty gross. If this wasn't a podcast, we could hold a picture up for that. <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't help. But the Montauk monster was probably just a dead raccoon. It's probably nothing. But Plum Island did have a big research facility on there that was studying... By, amongst Where other things. Where was Plum Island? Uh, off the coast of New York, basically. Okay. And so one of the people that they brought in to run that was a guy called Eric Traub, who was the head of the Biological Warfare Division mm -hmm. uh, under the Nazi government, and his specialty was using insects to spread disease as a weapon. Right. Weirdly, right. do you know what, what town is just off the coast of Plum Island? I don't remember, but I know that they, what is the first outbreak of Lyme disease? There, Lyme, right? Connecticut. Okay. Lyme, Connecticut. Oh, that's I why see. it's Lyme wow. disease. Lyme disease. I get it. Okay. Now, that could be a coincidence. We right. don't have the hard evidence mm -hmm. to say that Eric Traub was definitely experimenting with ticks. Right. It's just a weird coincidence, maybe. At the very least, it's a weird coincidence. And maybe it's more. But right. maybe we, we could do a whole podcast on that. Because <laughs> we're, we're, we're concentrating yeah. on... Let's stick... Let's stick, stick to, to the Nazis. Let's stick yeah. to it. Yeah. All right. So... So if... Well, here's a question then. I mean, if... If all these high-ranking Nazis are able to get out of Germany, why not the highest of them all? I mean, why not Hitler? Why, why not have, you know, did he die in the bunker? Did he commit suicide? Or is he somebody who got out and lived the rest of his life in Argentina, married to an Argentinian, or, you know, is, is this plausible? Well, this is why we brought in Elena. Yeah. There are a lot of, I guess, trails that have been followed. Uh, there's recently declassified documents that also help in some sense sort of now are these the, these, these are the FBI documents FBI that... but I also watched I also saw a program where they had um, other like British intelligence and other right right MI6 yes yeah, MI6 stuff too <clears throat> um, basically trying to see if it's plausible and following some of the head guys well Hitler, they didn't have necessarily a trail for him, but Bormann, there were some trails that they were sort of following. Okay, so here's what I understand to be the official version of Hitler's passing. So apparently he dies in the bunker called, was it the Wolf's Nest or the Wolf's Lair or something like that? Yeah, anyway, that the bunker in Berlin is where Hitler is at the end of the war, April 1945. He's held up in this underground bunker. Uh, I actually lived in Berlin for a while, and this bunker is somewhere around downtown Berlin in an area called Mitte, near what's the, the street would have been Friedrichstraße. Oh, I know that street. Although... Nobody actually knows where the bunker is. Hmm. That officially, it is known somewhere by, by German intelligence. They know where the bunker is. But they've made a very concerted effort uh, not to let this become public knowledge mm -hmm. because they fear that this will become some kind of uh, memorial site for right-wing extremists. Right. And 
no like a shrine. Yeah, no. Yeah. The German government does not want no. some kind of makeshift shrine to Hitler somewhere in you know. Friedrichstrasse is very close to uh, German Parliament buildings. And it's also okay. a street with just it's where people go to shop. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's right downtown. I mean, yeah. it's Park Avenue. It's like kind Young of Street. Stuff. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, but okay, so here Hitler is in, in April 1945, and war's going badly. War's going very badly. It's clear to certainly his inner circle that the war has been lost. It is already over. Now, whether Hitler himself believes this or not, I guess, is uh, an open question. But certainly, <laughs> he knows that it's so bad that he has to be in a bunker in yeah. April. He's being sought out. Like, the Soviets had a special team right. trying and to track him down. They're in Germany, yeah. right? They are heading towards Berlin. They are, what, two, three, four kilometers outside of the, the city yeah. limits. Yeah, by April 20th, they were approaching Berlin. Mm -hmm. And right. then within a few days of that, they were basically in Berlin. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, I would imagine that Hitler did not want to get captured by that Soviet team of no definitely and, and Mussolini had been assassin had been killed at this point that was known within Germany that was the 28th of April oh was it the 28th yeah. okay so this is all happening but they yeah. you know yeah. they're like period. this is we do not want this to happen to us okay yeah, because so Mussolini he didn't just get killed right like he got killed yeah yeah, yeah. he was yeah. yeah really killed and then dragged through the streets and then, and wasn't he hanged upside down and... i think so yeah so I, I mean nathan mentions april 20th which is hitler's birthday so hitler turns 56 on april 20th he's in the bunker uh, so he has his last public appearance where he's pinning the iron cross on 13 year old kids who've you know demonstrated bravery or some such that's when you the, know you're losing the war. Right. You know, when you I mean, send the 13 year olds with like single shot Panzerfaust to try and take out save, a 30 ton tank. Right. To save your capital city. Yeah. That uh, is not a war that you're going to win. Okay. April 20th passes. He has his uh, 56th birthday. A lot of the top leaders show up for his t uh, 56th birthday on April 20th, but then have concerted plans already set in place that they're going to get out of Dodge, like they're getting out of Berlin, mm -hmm. because they know it's it's coming to an end. And they're not going to be treated well if the Soviets get them. That's right. The you... Soviets are super unhappy about the Nazi regime. Yeah, <laughs> that's putting it mildly. Hitler himself, at some point between April 20th and April 30th, which is the time of his official death by suicide, uh, apparently realizes that the war is lost. And the official story goes that he marries his uh, longtime sweetheart partner, Eva von Braun, in a small private ceremony. Tasteful. Uh, they, yeah. I, I, <laughs> they go into, they have, a, they have a breakfast the next day, kind of a small wedding breakfast, after which Hitler goes in, uh, with his newlywed, goes into a private room, makes out his last will and testament, and then Nathan and I here disagree on exactly how he kills himself. My understanding is he shoots himself and his uh, new wife takes a cyanide pill. Nathan? I had heard and read that he took the cyanide and shot himself. But again, it's really difficult to say. Right. It's really difficult to say what went on in that locked bunker. Yeah. And now Joseph Goebbels, who at this point now is man number two in the Nazi regime, 
which I guess at this point means very little, given that there's days left. Yeah. But anyway, he is the one who now disposes of, makes sure that the bodies are taken out, they are burned, and buried. Because With other bodies too, right? right? There are other bodies in the same spot. No shortage of bodies at no. that point. Because he doesn't want to get Mussolini'd. Right. right. So this is the official version of Hitler's death that I, that I know. Now, we brought you in. Okay. One thing, us, I, yeah, yes. one thing I want to speak to, too, though. So before, so Hitler, there was an attempt on his life previously in 1944, right? That's right. Uh, and I wanted to talk about that, too. Yeah. But you go ahead. And I think he, after that, <clears throat> was obviously more aware of the sort of the need to be careful, to create mm. counter stories, to have body doubles, to create confusion around his whereabouts. So... You know, there is sort of one, that element to consider in terms of him potentially actively creating some confusion himself, wanting to create confusion around whether or not he died, lived. So what I've heard, too, beyond this point is that the Soviets find these bodies that are buried near the bunker, dig them up, find the one I guess they suspect might be Hitler's, take it do a poorly done autopsy on it. I think they only have hand-drawn pictures of his teeth from his dentist or something like that. Something very, mm -hmm. Some very crude mm -hmm. thing to go on in terms of trying to match. <clears throat> they don't store his remains well. Uh, what were you saying? The jaw they found? Yeah, they, they found a the, jaw and they, they held on to like a skull cap, basically. Like right. the, the top part of the skull and they held on to that for a long time before releasing it. And then when that was released and it, they did a proper forensic study of it, they said, well, this is a part of a skull, for sure, of a woman in her 30s. Right. Now, Hitler, not a woman in his 30s. Absolutely not. Okay, so yeah. that's that's an issue. I think it's May 1st, I guess, there's sort of official word of Hitler's suicide. Mm -hmm. But within, I don't know, if it's days of that, or a day, or even uh, hours of that, there's a radio broadcast saying that he, he actually died sort of fighting at the head of his troops somewhere. Hmm. So already sort of from the start, there's some confusion being fueled around or, or, you know, alternative stories being sort of proposed as to his whereabouts and the fact that there's this body that the Soviets have that they're not really sharing information about, other than Stalin himself actually saying, did you say that too, that Stalin himself said Stalin that denied... Hitler did not... So apparently... Hitler, he didn't die, I mean. He held back the autopsy findings. Okay, but he yeah. denies Hitler's death right. uh, to Harry Truman. Uh, so apparently, I guess, Harry Truman wants to confirm that the Soviets did get Hitler, uh, that they have his remains, and Stalin apparently flatly denies it. Mm -hmm. So essentially, it's kind of clouded and mystery, even from the start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because even though the Soviets and the Americans had been on the same side of this war, mm -hmm. eh, eh, they weren't. It was a marriage of convenience. It was as soon as the war came to a conclusion, they were happy to be enemies. In fact, this is a great code name, Operation Unthinkable. <laughs> Operation Unthinkable yeah. was uh, a British plan in 1945, so right at the end of the war, to rearm the Germans and then attack the Soviets. This which, was this was Churchill's idea, right? Which is amazing irony because that was Hitler's plan all along. Anyway, I, yeah. I mean, he that that was the prize was the Soviet Union, even more than than the West, right? 
Okay, so if so I understand this... it's a paranoid this, time, lots of yes, lies going lots around. lots of confusion. Lots of confusion, lots of mistrust. Yeah. And in the middle of all of this, we're expected to believe that this sort of... This... this Supervillain. Supervillain mm -hmm. had just quietly... Shot himself in the head. Yeah, that's, that's not yeah. a... Sound was Nathan shooting himself in the head. That's not a good gun noise. <laughs> no, no. Uh, it's also not a good gesture for podcasts. As any yeah, gestures yeah. are for podcasts. You're right. I <laughs> can't help it but make useless gestures. So, okay, so yeah. you're giving us the, well, this, this alternative history, right? Well, this, this version in which Hitler actually escapes. Yes, and so I've heard, I guess, various ways that it could have happened that uh, potentially roadways nearby could have been used as actual runways. Uh -huh. Roads could have been used as runways to <clears> do an initial sort of escape to somewhere where a submarine could be boarded and you pop up halfway across the world. I've heard different paths. I've heard Denmark to Spain to South America. I've heard, there's a few, but the most, most of them end up in South America. So that's right. sort of the common Argent thread yeah. is that regardless of how he's getting there, yes. he's headed for South America. Yes, because there, during the war, there was strong support in, in parts of South America for Nazis. Places like Argentina. Places like Argentina, uh, Chile. So, in fact, there were already sort of businesses, like German, many Germans had businesses in, huh. in parts of Argentina. They had hotels that could harbor Nazis and did in some cases that, like, openly. Down the road, have you guys heard of uh, Colonia Dignidad? No. Essentially, now it's called uh, Villa ba Baviera. Yeah. They've renamed it and tried to give it, like, tried to wash away its Nazi past. I see, I see. But it essentially ended up being this kind of cult or colony in the middle of, I think it was in Chile? It was either in Chile or Argentina. And I ended up uh, having one of uh, a very frightening character. It doesn't sound frightening when I say Paul Schaefer, if you know Paul Schaefer from the Letterman show. No. It's Paul Schaefer Schneider, and he was uh, like a war criminal. He was charged for like child abuse, and he essentially turned it into this cult where they had, it was like a labor camp, a cult. They were making munitions there, all sorts of bizarre things. So. There was a, a presence there, even sort of throughout the war, which could have potentially created these sort of pockets where Nazis could flee to. And you mentioned Bormann. And Bormann. there was some evidence that maybe yes. he was in South America. Yes. Uh, Eichmann. Yes. Was Adolf Eichmann was definitely, definitely in South America. Yeah. And in fact, when um, they, I saw a show where they interviewed Bormann's alleged daughter, um, adopted daughter. He disappeared when she was like quite young. Mm -hmm after Eichmann was found. Huh. And so her theory is that, yes, this was my father. When I see photos, this is what my father looked like. And second, she thinks he became just really paranoid and freaked out after Eichmann was found and had to go into further hiding. Mm -hmm. Was he ever found? His, well, yeah. So I guess, I don't know how far along, but I know he was buried somewhere in Germany at one point. But when they exhumed him, they found this kind of red, earthy soil stuff that wasn't native to Germany. I see. And in fact, there, is, there are stories in this village in, uh, I don't know if it was Bariloche, maybe it was called, that there's, there was this unmarked grave. And they have some witnesses that like, lived at the time. Like, for example, a man who like, was an assistant to the priest, who was like, come, we have this little blessing to do, and kind of told him, you know, like, this is Bormann, don't tell anybody. You know? <laughs> like, Keep like, it under your hat. Yeah. You know, and so but they this is his secretary. Yeah, and so they went back, uh, this group went back, and there was no body there now, but that was the same kind of red soil that they found there that, 
that could have been. I don't know. If, I mean, I don't have definitive tests that were done to say like, yes, this is the same soil. But there's but just sort of circumstantial right stuff you could things that 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 don't seem to fit with the story that yeah. he had been in Germany. Yeah. And of course, someone else who made it to South America and apparently was never caught. Uh, one of the worst members of the Nazi Party, Josef uh, Mengele, who was right. a Nazi doctor. Yeah, is that right? Doctor Death. Doctor Death. Who? Yeah, I mean doctor in quotation marks. Yeah. Yeah. Because, right. Uh, Sort of the, an opposite of a doctor, really. So let me get this, just to summarize what we've gotten so far. We have this official story where Hitler uh, commits suicide on April 30th with his new wife uh, in the bunker in Berlin. And now what we're hearing is an alternative story, a potential uh, escape, where Hitler somehow gets out of Berlin, maybe using roadways or a runway for a plane. Well, actually, I've got a somehow for you. Okay. The last plane to fly out of Berlin before it gets taken over is flown by Hannah Reich, who was a uh, test pilot, uh -huh. a female test pilot, uh -huh. which is wouldn't have been unusual in the Soviet Union, where there was a lot of female pilots, but in Germany that was quite unusual. She was also considered like Hitler's one of Hitler's personal pilots, and she flies out of Berlin... April 28th. Huh. Right. And okay. there's yeah. a U-boat, because of course, <laughs> once uh, Hitler's death is sort of known, and then it's clear that the war is over, they tell all of the U-boats, okay guys, stand down. Surface, because the U-boats at this point is still a very dangerous weapon. Mm -hmm. So all the U-boats are ordered to surface and throw away their ammunition. Now one U-boat, U-977, which is south of Scotland at the time, they don't Either they don't believe the order or they don't agree with the order and they hold on to their weapons and they dive and they end up in, of course, Argentina. Huh. So what we have is Project Paperclip, which demonstrates that top-ranking Nazis have made it out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is un incontrovertible. Yeah, there is, that is not controversial at all. That okay. definitely occurred. We have, uh, obviously there would be... <laughs> Intrinsic motivation for Hitler to get out if he were mm -hmm. losing, clearly knows that he's losing the war. Mm -hmm. and, and having seen what happened to Mussolini. Having seen what happened to Mussolini, the Russians uh, have a, you know, grudge. Uh, Again. <laughs> um, and they're, at, they're, they're about to take over Berlin. And there are these circumstantial indices. His, his personal pilot leaves on the 28th. There's a submarine that surfaces in Argentina. There are then ways for him to get out. So this is the idea. Mm -hmm. Now, is there any anything else after this? Like, are there sightings? Well, are there people like... I mean, just if, if it is simply possible that somebody might have escaped, that's one thing. Yeah. But what we're suggesting, or this story at least is indicating, that there, there's more to it yeah. that this guy, Hitler, supreme villain is actually, you know, made it out and then lived the rest of his life in Argentina. Right, and well, they would have needed the support, and so that's one other thing, the support either sort of politically, which they had from Perón in Argentina until he was ousted, um, after okay. which some Nazis might have fled from Argentina because they could no longer get the support, and uh, maybe if any evidence of them was actually in fact destroyed because they didn't, the new government didn't want that sort of past to be known. So Fritz Mandel... He was an Austrian armaments guy who was sort of taken over, I think, taken under his wing by the Nazis. He had a bicycle plant in uh, Buenos Aires, a factory, 
they tested, so the people who went in, the sort of like Marine group or like these Marines who went in and, and people to test to see what was, they, they went to look at the machinery to be like, okay, were they making bicycles or could they have made other things? Like, was this a front for something else? Oh, I um, see. And of course, the, the Germans had a history of that because they made right. a bunch of bombers and pretended they right. were passenger planes. Right. Okay. And I think so, they said that tanks were tractors. <laughs> okay. So there's evidence, you know, that they could have been making bullets there, some sort of bombs. They tested for ammunition for trace elements and they found TNT, TNB, which were two elements that would have been used for ammunitions at the time now, to make it. Would you need TNT to make bicycles? Clearly not. Okay. Unless you're making some kind of bizarre Hitler inspired <laughs> rocket bicycle. bicycle. Rocket right. bicycle right? <laughs> So those were two ingredients that you would have used now, at the time to historically... This plant to, is, is yeah. operating during the war. This, he established it in 1943. I see, okay. So pre the end of the war, it would have been there as a thing. Okay. There was um, an interview with this commissioner, Colotto, or something like that. He was Argentinian uh, at the time when Perón was, was president. There was a video taken of him, and he said, or maybe he took it himself and was like, don't, don't watch this until I'm dead, basically. And in this video, he admits that he admits to being at a meeting where Perón met with Borman to essentially give him the go ahead to create some sort of like to, to get the support to create munitions or use their land to, to sort of Is this to basically video have a base. Yeah. Uh, I don't know where this one is. I saw it sort of secondhand, like on another. Oh, OK. Film. OK. But I can look it up because it, it would obviously. I would, be, yeah. I would just be yeah. fascinating. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, I feel like YouTube would have it, but... Yeah, maybe. Okay. Yeah. There's all sorts of little bizarre, bizarre things. Have you heard of um, Dr. Richter and Humal Island? Mm -hmm. No. What's nope. this? So this is in Argentina near a town named Bariloche. And it's all basically in this lake. So at the top, if you can imagine this sort of long lake, at the top of the lake there was this hideout, this sort of cottage that according to one sort of story if you want to tell or a rumor that Hitler could have stayed out there there was this sort of lookout found sort of halfway down this lake so that Hitler's lookout Hitler's place would have been north of this there's this lookout and then this lake sort of splits and down at the bottom of the lake is Humal Island where Dr. Richter is said to have been basically trying to well he created a secret nuclear site there Really? And this group actually went there and looked at the walls and how it was created to see the kind of, you know, equipment that was being used there. And, and near to this island, so Hitler's hideout was called the Analco House. Humo Island was where Richter's labs would have been. And it was also near, I forget which other little small town, maybe it was even near, I can't remember exactly the third thing, but it was all sort of perfectly placed. So that Hitler could have kind of been watching, or someone head up and that they could have been seeing what was going on but they could have been so close that they would have been annihilated if something went wrong at their own sort of <laughs> nuclear testing site wow so their theory this other theory like if you extend this alternative story yeah. further is that there were essentially plans to launch the fourth reich I and see. by finding this new base in south america this is where they could create their munitions and have their support and bring all their top <laughs> people um, so is the idea that Argentina functions as a kind of retreat uh, for yeah. the kind of elite, the, the Nazi elite to regroup to 
to get their emissions, yep. and mm -hmm. then maybe launch something right. again. I mean, there are parallels for this in history. I, I lived in Taipei for a while, and Taipei, uh, Taiwan, for uh, I, I guess still uh, officially today, but certainly at the time of the Chinese Revolution, the mm -hmm. Republican government of China exiled itself to Taiwan with the intention of eventually coming back to China and taking over China. In fact, again. don't they still consider themselves to be they the, do like the heads of China? Yeah, we, yes. Which uh, is one of the reasons that's such a. It's a little China does not. It's, it's a dicey. It's a dicey situation. Yeah, but I mean, I just mentioned that mm -hmm. because there is there is precedent for this, right? Oh, for that, sure. That, that governments that are are losing uh, a war, potentially uh, a war at home, retreat to some kind of safe space mm -hmm. in order to then eventually launch some incursion later. So this is the idea here. Right. right? This mm -hmm. is what Argentina does, and certainly we have. Eichmann, as we said before, mm -hmm. Adolf Eichmann, and many other Nazis are known to have fled to Argentina. Yeah, and in okay. fact, according to one of these strands, the plan wasn't to then launch war against the Soviets, it was actually to attack America from South America, just like I the United see. States. Hmm. And there was some 1944 plan to even target like Manhattan, hmm. um, found in, I don't know exactly which, sort of, who they found this document with, but it was like some Nazi plan to even launch an attack on the United States from there. To well, see New York burn to the ground. Yeah, I mean, that was certainly something Hitler was yeah. really, really interested yeah. in. Of course, having watched his own cities basically been destroyed, while well, the American cities, right. except for Pearl Harbor. Mm -hmm. And then I think there was a small forest that was destroyed by Japanese balloon bombs. Oh, yeah. But that was it. Yeah. Other than that, and they sent, and the, the Germans actually sent some saboteurs on a submarine and then they landed them on a raft uh, in Florida, I think, and that went hilariously wrong. We don't have time to get into it, but it was it's a really kind of amusing story. It seems like this would be a very large-scale operation. Mm -hmm. There would have to be people involved in getting Hitler out, in maintaining him, in funding and arming this, this resistance movement in Argentina. I mean, are people talking? Are, are, are there, is there any uh, bodyguard who says, yeah, I, I, you know, was the bodyguard for Hitler from 1947 until 63 or something like that? Is there any evidence of, of, of some of the people who would have had to been part of this conspiracy? I mean, I haven't, I don't know that I've seen any from the German side. Um, we've seen some documents, all of us, right, about some rumored... Um, and, and on the, so, on the, was it with those Argentinian, Argentinians that we read about? Saying that, yes, I was there when the plans were made. So are these the FBI documents? Yeah. yeah. Right. So there are uh, declassified FBI documents yeah. which mm -hmm. uh, purport to uh, be reports, although they... The, documents themselves seem somewhat skeptical, Yeah, I have to admit. Yeah. But uh, they, they're talking with informants who may have or who have, who certainly claim to yeah. have seen Hitler emerge from the submarine. I think that's even on page one. Um, or there was one near the end that was more extensive and it was two stories that appeared in some Argentinian newspaper and there were people coming forward to corroborate one another's stories. Um, but it's, it is so hard looking through because you'll see, you know, a paranoid woman saying that she saw she was on the bus with Hitler. And in fact, maybe we document. should we should read a yeah. couple of these. Yeah, and could absolutely. You, could you read this in an old-timey mid-Atlantic accent? Oh, God, no. <laughs> I cannot. No. Um, 
1945. This is a letter to the FBI. Okay, so dear sir. That's not a I can't do it. Okay, you give me an example. How can you do that? Dear sir. Dear sir. No, I can't do it. (laughs) I'll do this one. You do the next one. Dear sir, I'll bet a dollar to a donut that Hitler is located right in New York City. There's no other city in the world where he could so easily be absorbed, which is underlined. No doubt you have considered this possibility, but I mention it for what it's worth anyway. Let's see what some of the other ones. Yeah, but it is it is hard to. Oh, here's here's a good one. To leaf through. Okay, dear friend, I have some news in my. Oh God, the spelling's terrible. I have some news in my possession, which I believe to be true and would interest you very much. I cannot divulge the man's name at present who gave me the news, but I will give you the news I have. And if you think it worthwhile, then you can have one of your men contact me for further information. Hitler is in Argentina. He's living in a great underground establishment beneath a vast hacienda, 675 miles west from Florianopolis, 450 miles northwest of Buenos Aires, and that two doubles are there with Hitler. The western entrance to elevators leading to Hitler's new underground is a wall operated by photoelectric cells, and that by code signals of even dim flashlights, wall slides to left, Let's auto speed in and instantly slides back into place. That's amazing. I know. Do not believe the British lie that Hitler is dead. I'm a full-blooded American and think this should be investigated at once. So, okay, so thinking about this, like all these sightings, and there's more. Like I started to make a list of all these different places, you know. Hitler is supposedly seen, you know, in Washington, D.C., I think a couple times, in New Mexico, in Charlottesville, Virginia, did someone not even mention Tibet at one point? I feel like yeah. there was something. Like, <laughs> well, he there was something under like Nazi Tibet. Yeah. There was something there, and I forget what. Yeah. So I don't know. You just have to think about the paranoia of the time and the culture of the time. It's like people have this Hitler lens on. Right. So, right, so everyone becomes suspect who is German or who remotely looks like he's the same age or anything of Hitler. I'm just thinking poor Charlie Chapman at yeah. this point. I yeah. Mean, is he still alive? Oh, he's still alive, but yeah. I'm pretty sure he lost a mustache at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, I don't know if this is useful. I'm looking at the Federal Bureau of Investigation synopsis of facts. Blank, because a lot of it is blanked out. Blank reports contact with... Uh, blank. <laughs> Claims to have aided six top Argentinian officials in hiding Adolf Hitler upon his landing by submarine in Argentina. Hitler reported to be hiding out in the foothills of the southern Andes. Information obtained by blank from blank, unable to be verified because of blank, disappearance. Attempts to locate blank, negative. No records of him in police or INS files. The amount of... I'm going to hold these up to the microphone. So yeah, so that everybody the, can, the see. Ladies can see them. <laughs> wow. Yep. That is a lot. It's yeah. a big stack. 200 pages, I think. Yeah, and this was just like one like one collection. Right. There, there are more collections of these. One thing we can say for certain is that there was a lot of people who thought that they had seen Hitler mm-hmm. in New or York. Or just had a theory. Or just had a just theory. Just had a theory. Other Swiss, they were saying, look at the Swiss Germans. He's probably hiding it somewhere right. in Switzerland where they speak. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, that's it. This person yeah. said this. Hitler did not, dear Mr. Hoover. Hit, because they're off to G. Edgar Hoover. Mm-hmm. And then there's these great... Um, these form letters commentary from J. Edgar Hoover. So if you wrote to the FBI saying, I saw Hitler, right. you would you get, get, you get the following. This will acknowledge receipt of your letter dated November 3rd, 1945. Your interest and courtesy in making this information available are greatly appreciated, and you may be assured that it will, be, it will receive appropriate attention. In the event you have any additional information which you believe should be 
uh, furnished to this bureau, please feel free to contact the special agent in charge of our Birmingham office, blah, 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 blah. Sincerely yours, John Edgar Hoover. So they had to come up with a form letter because there were so many people mm -hmm. writing to say that they had some theory or they had seen a guy with his hair parted funny or, or what yeah. have you. Like, there is a ton of papers about this. The question is, that I'll post to you guys now, I mean, it's not impossible. Mm -hmm. So let's move past that mm -hmm. and ask the question, is it feasible? Right. Is it likely that this happened? What do you think? I think it's feasible, but I don't know how likely it is. Okay. From what I've seen, there are a lot of, a lot of support, a lot of refuge, a lot of factories, a lot of sort of the, the infrastructure. A lot of sympathy. Yeah, the sympathy. The infrastructure is there that could potentially have housed and hidden top Nazis. Whether or not that was Hitler, I don't know. He also had poor health. So even if he did make a trip like that, you don't know that he would survive. But like, okay, yeah. so actually, I mean, he was he was in his fifties. He had been living through war, which was sort of hard on yeah. anybody's health. And I've actually I have a question for you, a side question before mm -hmm. we go back to this. So Nathan, yeah, um, how much credence do you give to Hitler's personality in terms of how he would imagine his end? Uh, I feel like he had this sort of mythic concept of himself, <clears throat> mm -hmm. and this mythic concept. I mean, if you look at the whole Nazi ideology, there's, there's myths that go all the way through it, this sort of nonsense about some kind of superior Aryan mm -hmm. race with this separate history and all these other things. So I, I can't imagine, and, and just in order to become a dictator, you have to already be so narcissistic. Yeah, absolutely. The idea that you would just die in a bunker at your own hand, while preferable to getting Mussolini'd, mm -hmm. still seems like that's certainly not the way he wants to go. Right. But also I could see him refusing to leave because, yeah. and, and Lee and I disagree on this. I think that Hitler almost certainly was uh, rapidly addicted to methamphetamines. Right. And Lee, you think maybe. Yeah, so um, I, I unfortunately don't have uh, all the details at hand, but I did watch, I, uh, I was in Germany last year and I, I just so happened to be watching a documentary uh, which, which asked this question. You can't really spend a day in Germany and watch German television without a documentary about either Hitler, the Second World War, or uh, the GDR in East Germany. And so yeah. I happen to be watching. And, and also, TV I would say you can't walk through a street in Berlin without right, coming without... across something about exactly. World War Two. Mm -hmm. Or uh, this documentary's claim was that the evidence. Um, that would suggest that he was a methamphetamine addict um, is circumstantial at best. It all goes back to one note written by one doctor, mm -hmm. and that note is not clearly uh, indicative that uh, he is actually prescribing. So the I think, and again, I'm sorry if I get the details a little muddled, but um, it's something to the effect of the word he wrote wasn't actually meth, but it could have mm. been, mm -hmm. and this is basically what it all goes back to. You just really loved math? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I suggest that you do three hours of math every evening and realize you can't win this war. Yeah. But, but meth use, like German soldiers were given meth. Like, it, it was yeah, not it was an uncommon, common. it was a pretty common drug. Mm -hmm. So, well, well, maybe we'll have a whole thing on, right. on Hitler's meth addiction. <laughs> You know, um, slash syphilis. You brought up uh, his character, mm -hmm. which I think is, for me, that is one of. Okay, so as I was researching Hitler's potential escape from the bunker, 
Uh, I actually, I, I eventually came down to, to answer the earlier question. I came down with the, uh, on the side that no, he did not escape, that he did die in the bunker. And I have eight reasons <laughs> that I believe... That is so um, organized. Wow. It is organized. Yeah. They are not all equally good reasons, I have to admit. So I hope um, that you have put them in order I have. of yeah, how good the reasons yes. are. Yes, yeah. number seven is that he did not take the pictures of his mother with him. So I don't know if I would base the entire argument on that. But no, um, He may have had a copy. Uh, one of the arguments, though, is about his character. Mm -hmm. And um, actually, it ties well, Why don't we just go through the, seven, the eight oh, reasons? Oh, okay, fine. Yeah. Uh, okay. I mean, you've done all this work. I've done all this work. I have my reasons here. Okay, uh, so the one about his character is actually not until number five, so uh, that'll take a second. One of the things that I often ask myself when I'm thinking about conspiracies and whether uh, which side I find myself on is I ask who would benefit from uh, exposing this conspiracy as a conspiracy? Mm. Who would benefit from... Uh, discovering that it is uh, a hoax, a fake, you know, that Hitler, in fact, did escape, that he still exists. In, in terms of Hitler, uh, there are a number of groups of people, I think, who would like to find him if he did mm. survive. Uh, one of them, I think, certainly is the state of Israel, uh, uh, if not, obviously, a lot of Jewish people and others who suffered directly at the hands of Hitler, not even to speak about all the Germans who did, but... Mm. Now, uh, the Israeli Secret Service, um, Mossad, they got Adolf Eichmann in Argentina. They were the group that found out... So, okay. And that was a long process. Right. Like, that, that was, was a, long, a long investigation. Exactly. And so Adolf Eichmann, uh, for those who don't know, was uh, instrumental in organizing the Holocaust. Now, he did not design the Holocaust. The Holocaust was not his idea, but he was one of these functionaries that made it happen. Mm -hmm. He he translated the the upper the Nazi elite's desire to have the Holocaust happen into actually how do we make this happen? Right. In Physically, how do we nuts and do bolts? This. Where he organized things like the train schedules that transported people to Auschwitz and Dachau and other places. Mossad found him, uh, captured him, and extradited him so that he could be uh, brought to trial in the newly created state of Israel. Uh, that trial is wonderfully recounted in um, Hannah Arendt's book, uh, Eichmann in Jerusalem. And this is an, I bring this up because this is an organization that has a real vested mm -hmm. interest in capturing Nazis. Now, and they're good at it. They're good at it. I think they really have an intrinsic desire to do this. If we think about something like Adolf Eichmann was a big deal, but relative to Hitler, he mm -hmm. was kind of small potatoes. I mean, uh, one of the tragedies, I guess, if you could put it this way, in the discoveries in the trial was actually he was just a functionary. You know, he wasn't so mm -hmm. um, he wasn't the big the evil Nazi yeah. mastermind that they had hoped that they had gotten. Now, if Hitler were still out there, I think Mossad. They would spare no expense. They Nothing. They would spare no manpower. Could you imagine being the team that found mm -hmm. Hitler? I mean, you would be famous forever. You, it would, that would be like the team that killed Osama bin totally. Laden. That would be like... The, I'd say even more so. Uh, yeah. Much more so. Yeah. But that would be like the guy who shot um, Muammar Gaddafi. You know, I mean, this is like, for, for certain sets of people, this would be the absolute pinnacle. And the fact that they have come up totally empty. That mm. they have not, the FBI too is looking into this. MI6 is looking into this. 
To imagine then that he somehow escapes detection would either mean that they're all in on it, or that this guy is such a genius, that he is such an absolute mastermind, that he is able to avoid the detection of the American Secret Service, the Israeli Secret Service, the British Secret Service, and for that matter... And just the locals. Locals. Yeah. I wanted to get back to that too. Ooh. Radovan Karadzic, who is a uh, Bosnian war criminal who was uh, in hiding until 2008, one of the reasons he was able mm -hmm. to stay in hiding for so long was that the locals were protecting him. Mm -hmm. So the uh, sort of uh, Bosnian sympathizers, they knew he was there, apparently, at least in the small town. They knew he was there uh, living under this alias. They did not rat him out. You would need at least that, which is... Oh, okay. That was my objection number one, where I felt like... That was a hell of an objection number yeah, one. Yeah. He's, got, <laughs> he's got seven more. I, I literally said. need to go put more money in my parking meter. There's <laughs> yeah, yeah. seven more. Well, okay. As I say, they're not all equally good. So that was certainly... I, I admit that is the best. That is the best objection. So let's breeze through these okay. other ones. Okay, okay. Okay. Should I actually go put... Wait, I really do have... Oh, well then, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, figured, I was waiting I'll for the end of beer. I was waiting for the end of one, so I could... <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's okay. I get excited. That's okay, that's good. Okay, where were you? Were, okay. I was, okay. I was going through my objection. Okay, I have some comments yes. on number one. Too, okay, okay. So. okay. No, so. is, is this comments for the podcast or sure, comments? Yeah. Okay. okay, so go. Okay, so in terms of your first point, so thinking, so Eichmann, he was up there, but he wasn't like a mastermind. I would think when it comes to Hitler and like the Bormans, there would be a lot more, well, just a lot more effort put into hiding the higher-ups. I don't know that Hitler would care if Eichmann got, sure. got found, right? That's right. You know, but um, from what I've seen in terms of some of these potential hideouts that were created in some places in South America, there were like tunnels in mountains. Mm. Yeah, there were bunkers again, under hotels. Yeah, and this is not one of those things that's up for debate. Like, yeah. they have found they, Nazi yeah. bunkers. Yeah. But here, too, I mean, obviously, if the Nazis had got, if Hitler had mm -hmm. gotten out. Mm -hmm. I don't disagree that he would have a vested interest in staying alive yeah. and doing whatever. But my point was merely that there are other people who would have a vested interest in finding him out. Right. Mm -hmm. right? And so I don't know if the kind of skeletal remnants of the Nazi elite is, is going to be up to the task yeah. of hiding from right. the FBI, the CIA, so many the Mossad, the, Mossad, right. uh, the MI6. But, and, I will, but I'll say this. Yes. I mean, if Hitler shaves his mustache and he changes oh, yeah, his hairstyle, yeah, they were, they were like... <laughs> then he's just some yeah. old white guy. Yeah. And Eichmann was sloppy. Right. Like, Eichmann had been talking to people in bars about what he had done right? okay. like that was one of the ways that Moss had got him they recorded yeah. his conversations where he talked about right. being an architect of the Holocaust okay that's sloppy right and Borman he had a passport allegedly with a different name had paid two farmers like poor farmers to be his witnesses and they disappeared afterwards huh hmm. and you're right I mean Mengele as you say never and, gets and, caught and he didn't get caught and he was one of the 
Like, he was another guy that people would have wanted to get. He was a monster. I mean, none of my objections are the kinds of things where you could say, well, clearly Mm -hmm. that closes the case. But for me, these were the kind, these were some of the concerns I had with this Mm -hmm. story. Okay. And they are excellent concerns. In fact, I would like to hear... Number two. Number two. (laughs) Okay. So, um... I'm going to change the order slightly because we didn't actually focus in our previous discussion on Hitler's sightings, which um, maybe we'd want to come back to. But the other point I wanted to raise, which I earlier suggested would be number five, now it's number two. Uh, I know, nobody cares, but this is how it is on my sheet of paper. Um, This is the most German thing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, He could have left earlier. Yes. So there were two, and, and so I'm going to actually come back to two things that you mentioned, Elena. There was the earlier putsch, well, the kind of assassination attempt. Mm-hmm. This is, for anybody who's interested in researching it more, the 20th of July plot. Uh, that's where a, a high-ranking Nazi, Klaus von Stauffenberg, on the 20th of July, 1944, in the Wolf's Lair bunker, brings in a suitcase of explosives, mm-hmm. Uh, puts it close to Hitler mm-hmm. and then leaves. Unfortunately, there is somebody who is annoyed at the presence of the suitcase. It's like bugging his foot or something stupid like that and moves it like seconds before it's about to explode and kill Hitler. Can we just say at this point again that Hitler was not necessarily some kind of super genius, mm-hmm. but he was lucky. lucky. He was one of the really luckiest. Lucky. That, that British yeah. soldier who almost shot him in World War One is, and he was like, you know what, this guy I'm not gonna kill, and then later on, right. he's like, oh, I should have killed, killed that guy. guy. Yeah. For um, one guy I should have killed. So okay, but what's interesting here is that one of the reasons for the assassination attempt was that the German high command is realizing that the two front war is unwinnable, mm-hmm. and what they want to do is they want to they they have failed to convince Hitler of um, settling with the Western Allies in order to focus all resources on Russia. So the idea for the Nazi high command was, okay, let's make a peace with America, you know, England, whatever, and and so that we are able to redirect all our forces towards Russia, which was the goal anyway, which is all this Eastern expansion, Lebensraum, and all of that kind of stuff. And Hitler says no. Now, to me... Again, this is circumstantial. This speaks to a certain kind of disposition uh, that I feel is, for me, one of the reasons I don't think he escapes is because I think he's really in it to win. Mm-hmm. He's, he's either like, I'm going to win yeah. or I'm going to die. Yeah. Because he had opportunities to, to scale back the you know megalomaniac plan of world domination. Mm-hmm. I mean, he could have said, well, I'll just take half of Russia and that'll be great. And... It might have even have worked. I mean, mm-hmm. who knows? The fact that they had to try and kill him speaks to the fact that he was rather un... There was a certain cussed-mindedness. Yeah, he was a little one on, uh, of one track. Now, well, yeah. much later, sorry. No, I was just going to say, and that's, I mean, that's the way Hitler spoke, too, in many of his speeches. It was like, we either live up to this occasion, this historical grand thing, mm-hmm. or we, like fall into oblivion. Yeah. Right, but we don't have that. There's nothing in between. And, yeah. and there was later, um, and I don't have a date for this, but it must have been sometime in 1945, where it is now clear we're going to lose the Germans, or I'm speaking in uh, the way the Germans would be, the Nazis would be thinking at that time. It's clear 
the Germans are going to lose. And so the high command says, now, why don't we retreat to a, uh, a kind of holdout that we've created in Bavaria? Mm -hmm. So apparently, in the southern state of Bavaria, the Nazis had, with interestingly, with not full support from Hitler the entire time, had created a place that they could retreat to in order to do what we spoke about earlier in, in, uh, with regards to Argentina. Mm -hmm. um, kind of uh, regroup and then maybe create another offense. Was it know? Thuringia, Germany, by any chance? I came across I that as being I a, think a testing spot. Thuringia is uh, in the north, but okay. my geography is terrible. Okay, this okay. was a place in Bavaria, um, but the, the term I was able to get for it was just a very generic uh, readout. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, again, this to me speaks to like he had the opportunity to get out, uh, and he didn't. Right. So now I feel like, okay, so, you know, he, he and he publicly declares uh, right at the end, I think sometime after his birthday, all is lost, I'm going to shoot myself. Hmm. Um, so there seems to me, again, to be kind of indications in his disposition, which was really all or nothing. You mm -hmm. know, I've, I've put all my money on red, it's either going to come up red or not. And that's it. I mean, this is a terrible example, but I've heard about people who take their life savings, go to Vegas, and they take a little bit of their life savings and buy a gun. And then you go into one of the casinos and you set it all on, you know, red or black. Mm -hmm. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, you have the gun. But instead of coming up red, it came up red army. Right, indeed. Uh, so, no, so, so um, apparently it was in Bavaria, so that would be thinking of that this place. This is really helpful for all those yes, for exactly. people listening. For people listening. We're, we're looking at maps. <laughs> we're showing each other maps. It right might have been there or there. You, you in the audience can choose. Okay. Um, okay. So this. So for me, so far, there are other uh, outfits that have um, a vested interest in finding Hitler, and they didn't. Um, Hitler himself seems to. Uh, this is my second objection. Hitler himself has had the opportunity to leave in times when clearly the war was lost, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he had a real opportunity to escape, and he chose not to. Um, now my stuff. Okay, my third objection uh, comes from I guess, uh, and I think again this is something that has often helped me in terms of working my way through conspiracies. Where does the legend, the myth, the mm -hmm. story come from? And one of the sources, again, if we look at, you know, where are the, uh, what are the first utterances that Hitler is still alive? I mean, um, Elena, you were saying how even in the news reports uh, right after his suicide, there are then conflicting reports, but still claim that he died, right? So where is the first, or one of the first reports that I came across was by a, a, a Russian marshal, and I'm sorry if I get the pronunciation wrong, Gregory Zukov. Well, that and, sounds right. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All yeah. us non-Russian speakers yeah. agree that that's the correct yeah. pronunciation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a press conference of the 9th of June, 1945, apparently on the orders of Joseph Stalin, mm -hmm. denies that uh, Hitler uh, was found dead, right. uh, that he even died. Stalin, at the conference of Potsdam, apparently denies Hitler's death directly of a question posed to him by Harry Truman. And apparently, 
And, and Nathan and I have discovered this in other forms. We discovered this uh, when we were doing the um, ESP telepathy podcast. Yep. There was a program of Soviet-sponsored disinformation yeah. where mm -hmm. they deliberately created falsehoods for whatever long-term strategic purpose that would offset you know, or, or somehow confuse their, I guess, Western enemies. I've got a point. really short but, uh, I think, appropriate example of that. The idea that HIV was created by the CIA is actually a KGB plant. Mm. Like, the KGB were the ones who first started to push that conspiracy theory in an attempt to undermine the USA. Right. Uh, and, Operation Infection. And, and this they're, is... They're really good at it. They're really the KGB good at it. KGB was excellent at planting disinformation. Yeah. And it is, it is amazing how often we come back to, uh, this was maybe, uh, you know, disinformation put uh, there by the KGB. So the story, again, in thinking about it in terms of motivation, there seems to be clear motivation from a certain group to concoct a false story. So again, is not... Is this still reason number two? No, this is reason number three. I've okay. already moved on to reason number three. All right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not keeping my reasons clear. Now I wanted to get okay. So those are my those are my those are your good solid those are my good solid reasons. Right, now we're getting now we're getting okay. So we'll breeze through these like nothing more quickly. Number four. Number four. Hitler might have, and there's circumstantial evidence that Hitler was suffering from Parkinson's disease right. and meth addiction. Um, and well, so some say meth addiction as well. But I think the Parkinson's is interesting because um, in the subsequent sightings, you don't get a mention of somebody who is a person with tremors, a person who is having trouble walking. Um, these are the kinds of, I think, things that would yeah. have had yeah. to have been... You hear about nervousness. Right, but shaking. apparently shaking. you can see this, and again, it is, yeah. it is um, circumstantial, but you can see in some of the later documentary footage of Hitler um, you can actually see him shaking quite violently with his hand. Now, right. Elena's holding is, up a well, piece of paper. This is FBI paper to human may concern. Have heard that Hitler is in Spain under care of a doctor named Stoller for a nervous condition. So, What's I, the date on this one? 1946. Okay. So, okay. Um, again, for me, now this is because I don't actually take the, the Hitler sightings as, in, as that credible. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think our, our earlier discussion about you know, he has good reason to leave, he has ways to leave, and we have found circumstantial evidence in Argentina of bunkers, of mm -hmm. other Nazis. Um, that, to me, sounds more compelling. The sightings seem a little, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and in that sense, then, I felt like there is some stuff that's maybe missing. The other thing, just in terms of sighting, and I, this is another reason, why would Hitler look like Hitler? You know, if you escape, yeah. uh, <laughs> and you are maybe the most wanted person, should you still be alive, why would you look anything like yourself? Well, um, I can address that one with this letter. <laughs> now, this is actually uh, sent care of the RCMP. Mm. This was, we got a little bit of homegrown. Okay. Okay. This is the Quebec one? No, this is oh, an okay. Ontario one. Okay. Uh, so this was sent to the RCMP, which then sent to J. Edgar Hoover. Okay. Dear Sir. I heard over the air that a certain actress stated that she is sure Adolf Hitler is still living. Have you any means of identifying him despite any plastic surgery or any change in right. physiography that might have occurred? Is there any financial reward offered for a clue which might start an investigation resulting in his identification? So this person's fishing mm -hmm. around for a little bit of do re me. But, I mean, imagine then if somebody radically alters their appearance. I mean, I wonder if you guys 
say, you know, Nathan, you can't see, uh, he has a slight beard, he has uh, shortish hair. I mean, if he grew his hair, put on some glasses, shaved his beard, changed his appearance as much as he could without plastic surgery, I'm not sure if I'd recognize you. Um, and of course, I famously can't even recognize no, people. No, we all look like right. potatoes. You can't yeah. recognize yourself in the mirror. I yeah. mean, so, <laughs> so one of the things, it's interesting, um, Che Guevara. Uh, the Cuban, well, Argentinian come Cuban revolutionary with Fidel Castro, you know, they overthrow um, the Cuban government. And then later, Che gets restless and wants to have another revolution in Guatemala. And really interesting, you can Google this, uh, look up Che Guevara's passport image going to Guatemala. I mean, Che Guevara... It's not the picture from the t-shirt? I mean, the guy is in... I'm like, pointing the, out my shirt The, right the revolutionary is a devastatingly good-looking man, cigar-chomping, virile, strong, hairy. hairy revolutionary. The passport image is of some pencil-pushing, male-pattern baldness bureaucrat. He looks so right. unlike himself. Yeah. And he made it into... Guatemala. I mean, he went through all the official world channels. World-famous revolutionary. World-famous revolutionary at that time, you know, goes through airport security and nobody bats an eye because... Wait, wait, wait. Which are you arguing right now? It seems, yeah, like yeah, yeah. It seems like you've moved on to arguing <laughs> that he could have escaped. It's true. If he, if he altered, but it's true. The sightings aren't enough. The sightings definitely aren't enough. The sightings no. are the most... Eyewitness information is the worst. In here, but, but the other... The, the real good stuff is... You know, the, yeah, the eyewitness stuff is someone who worked at a maid in a hotel in Argentina yeah. who remembers all these Nazi officials being there and they pretended they were Chilean, but clearly they were speaking German. And, right. Uh, or, or the you know, physical evidence of yeah, the actual bunkers. Yeah. Of bunkers and tunnels. Right. There, was mm -hmm. one, there was one hotel that had tunnels. They found these wells that actually went out to the sea and could have actually been, at the time when water levels were lower, could have been something that people could have went down the ladder and actually gotten onto a sub. Yeah. Huh. Or something, you know what because I mean? So have, yeah, the infrastructure is, I think, more important. For indeed, sure. indeed. Yeah. yeah, and that's why I. I, I the sightings are just kind of excite, like exciting for people to be like, ooh, and it's just kind of that. I saw a guy with a mustache. Yeah, right. you know? I thought it was Charlie Chaplin, then it turns out yeah, to be Hitler. But he wasn't funny, so it must yeah. So, as I promised, we're burning through these <laughs> real quick. Okay, last two, which are really. These were are not arguments at all, but. Um, you know, you can you can organize arguments in different ways, and sometimes there's just a kind of these are the like, sort of straw that broke the camel's back in a sense. They are of themselves not solid at all, mm -hmm. but in light of the other stuff. Okay, this is a, admittedly a very weird one. That's why it's so low. It's, mm -hmm. it, this is number seven now. I, I I'm not sure if I've, I've actually uh, articulated all. Of, okay, but but when. Um, they go into the bunker where Hitler apparently uh, shot himself. They find a picture of his mother. Mm -hmm. Now, this picture, Hitler, I try really to stay away from um, sort of psychoanalyzing Hitler and creating any kind of... Yet you are. <laughs> but at seven. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yet I am here. Yeah. Apparently, he had a very um, uh, deep and important relationship with his mother. And this and and this picture was a very important, almost icon that followed him throughout his life. Mm. It was there in the beer porch. It was there in jail. It's there in his rise to uh, power, and then it's there in the bunker. Mm. I don't know. 
why not just take the picture? I mean, you know, maybe like, he wants to fuel the. Like, I, I like, guess they'll so. think I died here because this is where I. But it seems like it's is the that a kind of thing nobody would have noticed. <laughs> yeah, that mean that's true. Okay, that gets really interesting. See, that gets really that, okay. Yeah, yeah, um, that's. Yeah. Now we're cycling lesson. Yeah. Okay, and, and because we're burning through this, the last one. I can hardly wait for number eight. Well, this one is the, this one is not at all an argument, but I do find that there's an interesting phenomenon uh, where we don't like the deaths of famous people. I think in large part because we are not <laughs> willing to accept our own death. And even somebody, I think especially, you know, we have the same any a lot of famous people who died, uh, especially if they died. Um, through unna uh, or yeah. unnatural causes, Princess Diana, Turpac, Curb Cobain. You know, it's it's as though we almost project our own um, Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> we project our own unwillingness to deal with our own mortality mm -hmm. onto these people who are already larger than life. Mm -hmm. right. And how scary is it if Marilyn Monroe could just OD on a couple of pills, mm -hmm. or Kurt Cobain shoot too much heroin, or Tupac get into a gunfight? I mean, this is not supposed to happen to the rich and famous. And I think this is even true of somebody evil and horrible like Osama Hitler. Mm -hmm. It's very I, unsatisfying when they have a small death. Yeah. It's like, no, they, we wanted we wanted them to get Mussolini'd. Right, exactly. See, nobody disputes Mussolini died no. because he died in such an elaborate, long... Yeah. Yeah. Or even, actually, for that matter, um, Muammar Gaddafi. Yeah, who also... There is, you yeah. know, it was or just... Or Saddam Hussein. Yeah, this, these are... There's no conspiracy about yeah. their deaths. And so... I, again, this is this is reason number eight. This is about us rather than being about Hitler. Exactly, yeah. but I do think that we have to put ourselves into these yeah, stories, right? Like, why are they compelling? That's why exactly. I was going to ask you guys that question too. Why is it that it is so like kind of exciting to read about these alternative stories to mm. things like? And I'm sure you guys see that a lot with your students in your course, like in your conspiracy course. What is that like? Do you see students get kind of? excited about these alternative stories until there's a critical lens kind of put on them and well i think part of it is that people have the very justifiable belief that things are not going well and this goes back to what i said at the beginning the difference mm -hmm. between fiction and reality right. fiction everything ties up really nicely right. fiction there are there are reasons that explain everything and in real life, there are almost never single reasons that explain everything that happens because things are so chaotic, things are such a mess, that there's coincidences and there's accidents and all these other things that's so unsatisfying. We like explanations where they provide us with reasons for why things are the way they are. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the appeal of conspiracy theories. Because the conspiracies, and even in today's podcast, we've talked about some genuine conspiracies like Paperclip and... Um, did we do any other ones? We mentioned, uh, what was he unthinkable? Or, oh, yeah. Or, and, and Lyme disease. Yeah. Lyme, possibly yeah. Lyme disease, possibly, Operation yeah. Unthinkable. And so there are genuine conspiracies, mm. but these, they're not the driving point of history. They're these weird little, like, offshoots of history. Right. But we want history to be something that makes sense. But we have to just confront the fact that, no, things don't tend to make sense. History is a, Big mess. Mm -hmm. So unsatisfying. It is, and I, I mean, I'm curious also to, re, to to 
to turn that question to you as well mm -hmm. because you've just asked us and um, I'm you know I'd be interested to know wh what is your interest like why Hitler yeah. why is that an interesting thing that he might have gotten out and so I don't know I guess more generally I see that there is this tendency I mean even legitimately to we want to turn history into something that's usable for us today in some way hmm. um, not to say that this Hitler story specifically is usable to us and in some way today but although his name gets thrown around a lot yeah absolutely but i guess it's just there's something about unearthing i guess history that is kind of compelling and this, mm. I, this idea that there's something we didn't know then but we know now right or like i mean even just the the you know once you add more like all this whole pile of 200 pages and who knows how many more there are um <laughs> we're constantly adding to our visions of the past, right? We're constantly adding to what we do know. So I don't know, there is just something compelling about filling in those blanks or, or you know, writing history from different perspectives that mm -hmm. is kind of inherently kind of intriguing. I remember the first time I saw a film where they had done the Technicolor and they had taken a black and white film and added color mm -hmm. to it. And the first time I saw Hitler in in color was a pretty remarkable event for me because it turned this mm -hmm. period of time that was so remote from me even though I have family connections to it. I mean my, my parents they were young but they were alive during the war my grandparents were on both sides you know my maternal grandparents British my paternal German they experienced that war firsthand but for me it was always so far removed and then suddenly, it was a black and white event. Exactly, it was something from the past. Yeah. It was really from the past, and then suddenly, in color, it made it all really contemporary. And mm -hmm. there was something—I don't know how to put it. It was—it's kind of making it your own, or in a way. But it was making something close. It's making it real and closer it, to you. Exactly, it's touching yeah. you. Suddenly. It made Hitler real yeah. in a way, which was quite shocking awful. to me. Yeah. It was awful, imagine. but also like. Important. Is, yeah, and this is a person that actually didn't live that long ago. And, and, and for the first time, I guess, I too started to develop a fascination mm -hmm. with, with, this, with this person who really stands for evil today. I mean, you could yeah. use the term Hitler Hitlerian. as, a, yeah. Hitlerian as yeah. a synonym for evil itself. I bet you there's a German word for something that is awful and important. Uh, you put me, I'll, I'll have to get back to you. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. Hitler is this larger-than-life figure. And maybe we want to take all of the evils and put it on this guy. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah. then they're not on us. Well, he's not, in, in a way, like, he's, we have probably a pretty dehumanized picture of, like, we don't really know what he, like, we know what, what he thought, we know what he perpetrated, mm -hmm. but, like, we don't really have a good sense of him as a person, do we? He's kind of be. I feel like he's a figure. Yeah. He's not really a person. That's interesting. I was saying the same thing earlier to Nathan, where I've actually resisted looking at mm -hmm. Hitler's biography a lot because I don't want to yeah. make it about him. For me, Hitler is a kind of a historical phenomenon, an event, a mm -hmm. social. Mm -hmm. It's less about the person and his quirks and, you know, why was he an anti-Semite or why mm -hmm. was he... What did he think about his mom? Yeah, exactly. As though that could explain something. But what are the right. social conditions in which somebody like that can yes, do... rise to power, rise and, to do power. What he, and do what he did. And yet, though, having said all of that, I can see a certain fascination with the idea that he might still be alive, or that he might have in the mm -hmm. 80s 
you know, been your neighbor in Argentina. Right, and well, that's part of that part, like you're talking about fact versus fiction too, Nathan, being like, we don't have that closure. Like, the bunker gives you closure. That story gives you closure. Hmm. And there's something also, like, almost, well, that is compelling about this alternative path to be like, well, that's like, that's that's where vengeance lives. It's like, well, how could he? Like, it's almost, it's enraging to think that he could have lived right. on. Yeah. And uh, just and, lived his life. And, and it's also enraging to think that he took his own life. It's like, right. oh, man. Right. We nothing wanted is Like, you yeah. should have stood trial. Right. You should have been... Yeah. Yeah, nothing is really satisfying. No, nothing is satisfying. No. <laughs> is that how we end? Yeah. I think so. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Goodbye. Anyway, nothing is satisfying. So, yeah. So that's it. Okay. So that's it. So, very, very quickly then, to sum up, <clears throat> did Nazis get out of Germany after the war? Many did. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, including a number who should have been put to trial mm -hmm. and they should have been punished in some sort of yeah. reasonable, like, democratic judicial way. Judicial way, yeah. Uh, judicial, exactly. Uh, but they weren't. It didn't happen. Do you think that Hitler made it out? Elena. Oh, man. I think it's... I don't know. What I, if I, I gave you, plausible. like, one to ten? Ten, yes, he's here in this room... One, no, he definitely... Oh, one to ten. Um, I don't... One to ten. Ten, literally, no. Ten, ten, ten being he made it out yeah, somewhere. Yeah, ten being he, he, he lived his, the rest of his life somewhere. Yeah. I'm at like a... I'm at like a six and a half. Whoa, that's pretty high. Six, okay. I, I think... I don't know. It's it's just... It is plausible. So I want to give it... I, I need it to be above five, I think. Okay. Okay. Which is high, I you know. Well, I, I, you know where I stand. I am, I, I don't know if it's zero or one. but Ooh, I, that's I, low. I, I totally feel like he, he died in the bunker. Mm -hmm. And my first three or four reasons are, they're the ones I'm sticking with, but I got eight reasons for why I, I feel that Let's way. Let's go through those again. Yeah. <laughs> and what about you, Nathan? Where are you? I'm going this? to... You're going to be reasonably in the middle. Yeah, I, I think I'm I totally take... overshot. Yeah, I'm, yes. that's why I went third. Yeah. So I'm smart. going to say I'm at like three and a half. Really? Yeah. yeah. So, I would have, I'm, somewhere I'm, between... I'm going to revise to four, four and a half. Okay, I'm going to revise yeah. to uh, like two then. Oh, come on. <laughs> no, I would say... I'm, I'm still with, at zero. I'm, yeah. I'm going to stick with three because yeah. to me, <clears> it's. I think it's more likely that he died in the bunker. But so many Nazis got it. Yeah. And what were they planning for in Argentina? Very quickly, what do you think of the possibility that he went to a secret hole in Antarctica to the center of the Earth? No. That's a zero? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, zero's all around for that one. Yeah. Because that's actually a pretty well-known conspiracy theory. Wow. Mm -hmm.